Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek. And for the next four episodes, in celebration of Open Access Week, the Knowledge Futures Group, a new joint initiative of the MIT Press and the MIT Media Lab, is sponsoring four special episodes on open access at the MIT Press. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Ed Finn and Travis Rich about Frankenbook, the pub-pub open access version of Mary Shelley's 1818 classic novel, Frankenstein. Ed Finn is the founding director of the Center for Science and the Imagination at Arizona State University. Travis Rich is the co-founder of PubPub and a research scientist at the MIT Media Lab. Stay tuned after the interview for more information about the show. Ed Finn and Travis Rich, thanks for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So 2018 is the 200th anniversary of the publication of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, Ed, what was it about this title that made it important enough for both of you to not only create the site Frankenbook, but also ensure that the project was going to be open access? One of the really amazing things about Frankenstein is not just that this story has survived for 200 years. Uh, the novel is in print in countless editions. It's been in print forever. Uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people read it every year. Um, but actually that it's it's so new, really, not just that it's so old. Uh, when, it was, when Mary Shelley published the book 200 years ago, it was... Uh, quickly derided, got very mixed reviews, but it immediately caught the public imagination. People started ripping it off and borrowing it and retelling it and adapting it for the stage. And that energy around the story has con- continued to this day. And so that really drew it, drew us to it from the beginning uh, here at Arizona State University. Um, and the reason we think that it's it's got this popularity, this persistent popularity, is that it speaks to a lot of our anxieties and our, our, our hopes and our fears around technological change and scientific advancements. So that really drew us to the novel. And then we realized that nobody had ever done an edition specifically geared towards scientists and engineers and creators of all kinds. Uh, and so that, that really inspired us to create this new annotated edition. And as we move forward, we realized that uh, MIT Press agreed with us uh, that this this would be a really great novel, not just to publish, but also to publish open access, to put online. We were able to talk the Sloan Foundation into supporting that vision. Uh, and so uh, Frankenbook was born. It has a great point that it is so new, even though it's so young. And that was part of what I think excited a lot of us was that um, the the stories around it weren't 400 years old. They weren't They weren't something out of the Iliad, but it was something that was still modern enough that almost every single metaphor and story within it um, resonated as as you read it with today's sort of modern society in mind. And so, um, yeah, nothing but credit to Ed and his team for seeing that and, and really pushing that forward. How Mary Shelley addressed some of these issues in science through Frankenstein, It's the tropes that she developed are almost so universal now that people don't realize that it was her. Uh, Travis, could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, how Frankenstein has over time really shaped how the public not only sees science, but scientific breakthroughs, both for good and for ill. That's always a tough thing. And I, I think my um, my take on it today is that there's so much fashion in society that everything looks different than it looked 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. But at the end of the day, we're still the same the same apes doing the same things over and over. So even if even if you don't notice the water, you still might write a story about the fact that everything is wet. And so um, 
science and technology might look much different, but like Ed said, um, it's the same anxieties. It's the same fear of the unknown. It's the same um, not being able to control all the wild abstract variables in life that that make the stories resonate. And so um, I think what Mary Shelley does as a good author is, is make that so it's not too um, defined by the fashion of her time and so that it makes sense in the fashion of our time as well. Um, but I mean, this is my guess, but it, my hunch is just that, you know, as humans, we keep doing the same thing over and over. History might not repeat itself, but it, it certainly rhymes. And so um, I think she just does a great job of, of elucidating that for today. So now, once the decision was made to move forward with this title, how did the teams from MIT and Arizona State work together to make sure that Frankenbook served both the old and new content as well as engage readers? This was a really fun project to work on because it addressed so many th of the things that, that I care about and I think also that Travis and our other collaborators at MIT are interested in because this is a scholarly project. It's a public engagement project where we're putting this book online, not just because we think that's cool, but also to try and draw in younger readers, uh, readers who might not otherwise have access to this text or certainly did this text annotated in this way. and to do it in an open access way as well was, was really exciting for us. So, you know, we came to this with the book and this idea that we wanted to do it as uh, a high visibility public project. Uh, I've been interested in the future of books and the future of reading for, for quite a while. And Travis was really the architect of a platform called PubPub. Uh, and I'll let him talk a little bit more about that, but it was uh, really an ideal vehicle for what we were trying to accomplish with with our project. Yeah, I, I think Ed hit it, hit it on the head, but the the goal we had started with PubPub was um, to match our publishing and our um, writing processes closer to what our research process was. And our research process at the MIT Media Lab was very iterative. It was very conversation and uh, direct feedback based. Um, and it was a little bit faster turnaround than the traditional academic publishing model where uh, you would write up a manuscript, submit it, it would go through review for a few months and you get sort of one or two rounds of feedback. Um, we were used to these much more rapid conversational feedback uh, sessions. And so uh, that matched really well with, I think, the vision that Ed had for students and folks in classrooms and readers all over interacting with the annotations and interacting with the metaphors and the stories within the book, not on this very slow uh, encyclopedic sort of way, but in this, um, yeah, this collaborative way that, that you get these emergent conversations and these emergent stories rather than just this sort of static expertise story. You know, when you go to the site, there are videos about some of the things. There are new essays talking about the themes, some of the history behind it. Uh, you both have talked about the annotations. And generally, when one sees an annotated version of an older book, and I can think of some, I know like many decades before I saw annotated Dracula's, annotated Sherlock Holmes. Most of the annotations are there simply to give the reader some historical context because something may have, obviously things have changed over time. References were made in the book that might not be resonant for today's readers. Is that what you were going for with these annotations or were you also looking for something extra? People being able to comment not only on the historical issues that were at play in Frankenstein, but also some of the broader issues that the book and the text presents. We really did want to go farther than the traditional annotation with this project. 
So we want to give people some historical context, some background in the scientific developments of Mary's era, the things she was folding in about galvanism, about the question, the nature of the soul and the human body, uh, the sort of early, uh, the, the beginnings of people thinking about evolution. Uh, but we also wanted to invite everybody in to mark up this book collectively, to add their own commentary to it. And that's really exciting because that's how we treat this story already. You know, we, we reinvent it, we make it our own in all sorts of different ways. We, we do mashups, we wear the Halloween costume, we eat the breakfast cereal, Frankenstein is everywhere. And so it, the, the work really speaks to that kind of invitation. And it's also how Mary wrote the book. You know, she was drawing in all of these different things that were happening in her own life, her own bio, you know, her own personal family history, as well as her wide ranging reading and literature and philosophy, thinking about the politics of her era and the French Revolution, you know, it all makes its way into the book. And that's uh, th that that notion that you would be writing back to the text is very familiar to people from her era in the in the 19th century. Um, and it's something that I think we should be doing more of and inviting people to do more today to make these texts really interactive and to build a community of readers so that everybody who's reading this this uh, work online has the chance to not just, you know, think think of this book for them, think about this book for themselves to do treat it as a kind of broadcast medium, but to treat it as a network medium where they can really interact with one another. I would guess that that's the one of the whole points about open access is not only is it available to everybody, but as you said, it's not a broadcast, it's a conversation. So if somebody were to go on and read this and wanted to add parts to the conversation, could you talk about where on the platform individuals who might not necessarily be professors or professional writers can bring their views and their thoughts to about the what they're reading and seeing online. So one good thing that Ed and his team did was they um, they set up these categories of, of lenses that you could read the book through. And so um, things like uh, annotations that were focused on the scientific content or had a, had a context in uh, politics and governance or had a politics and philosophy or a context in philosophy, um, they set up these labels so that you could label these annotations so you knew that these were the editorial sort of expertise uh, decisions and, and conversations that were going on. Um, and then one of the roles that the public can play is that they can come in and leave annotations, but they don't have those same sort of expert branded roles. Um, and so they do have this separate uh, space where they don't have to pretend like they're looking like an expert. It's clear they're from the community um, and they can still participate. We also, uh, just in the last few weeks, have rolled out a feature on PubHub called Discussion Channels, which are sort of uh, private rooms where a classroom or, or an individual group can have a private space where no one else can see those annotations, no one else can write to that to that space, and you have the ability to um, be a little bit more um, less polished, a little more explorative as you read through the book. One, one thing that we've been trying to explore with PubHub a lot is this um, this sort of gradient of expertise and how you encourage people who aren't experts to actually acknowledge that they can play a role in this process. And so, um, you know, one of the great things about sports and the reason that soccer and basketball are so popular the world over is that it's so easy to pick up and just start, even if you're not the best at, in the world at it, you can still have fun playing it. And I think uh, for us with PubPub and, and specifically this book, we want the world asking these types of questions and thinking about the ethics and the morals of the story here, even if you're not a scholarly expert. And so 
the fact that you can have your own little private basketball court to play around with these these ideas and talk about these with your classroom or your or your peer group or whatever um, is one of the things we we hope can can really enable that kind of uh, yeah that kind of behavior. One of the really cool things about uh, PubPub uh, and the platform that Travis and uh, et al created is that you can add rich media. So it doesn't just have to be text. You can add video, audio, uh, link out to different things. Uh, and that is a great way for people to get involved and make connections because Frankenstein is such a rich cultural text that even if you don't feel like maybe you have some brilliant insight to offer about the novel directly, you might say, oh, this really reminded me of something else that I saw or read, read recently. I couldn't help but notice in the essay parts too. For, when it, what got me thinking about the educational part was you have the separate uh, the separate silo of the essays where people have come in and talked about different parts of the book. But a lot of the essays end up having a study guide. So it seemed to me that if I were an educator and I wanted to bring a classroom into discussion beyond the text, that there's already some pre I don't want to say pre digested, but more like some thought already went into like helping people and helping educators lead their students through the discussions within the study guides. Yeah, we spent a lot of time thinking about how to make this more useful and more accessible for students and teachers. So the essays that we commissioned were thought of throughout the whole process uh, as hopefully invitations and bridges uh, to, to students and teachers. So we included uh, philosophers and scientists, but also science fiction writers. Cory Doctorow has a wonderful essay in there. And we added prompts and questions. So not only are there questions after each of those essays, there are also discussion questions uh, after each uh, book, each volume of the text. I think maybe even actually after every chapter. Uh, but anyway, a significant set of teaching resources that, that people can use uh, as they bring the text into different classrooms. Was there a particular decision-making process on the videos? Because I found the video section to be incredibly interesting. The filmmakers, the techniques that were used, it, it was very interesting, and I not seen something like that before in open access. This was another really fun part of the project for us. Uh, this was also supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. We commissioned a set of original videos uh, in collaboration with Massive Science, which is a science communication uh, and engagement group based in New York. And so we talked with them about the ideas for these videos, but they really uh, led the charge in identifying different, uh, just fantastic animators to animate these different uh, conversations. We, we worked collectively with them on identifying experts to interview that became the audio basically of those videos, but then they brought it all together and it really achieved what we were hoping for, which was to create a, a distinctive, original, really compelling set of content that we hoped would attract people to the book project. Uh, and also, you know, now these videos are themselves annotations to the text. Uh, so it, it's been really exciting to see all of that come together. Travis, earlier on, you talked a little bit about how one of the fascinating things about this project was it had been a very different experience as far as how you had experienced academic publishing, where it instead more of like a, uh, an authorial voice that there was much more of a conversation going on. Um, I was curious about the reading part of it. I mean, obviously, you've talked a little bit of the publishing. Are there ways in which PubPub's measuring how the audience is engaging with it? Is it changing how the audience is reading these books as opposed to just a traditional a traditional, you know, paper book. We don't have a lot of the metrics that people, when they start thinking about how users are behaving on given websites, try to collect. Uh, we, we do try to 
stay pretty um, pretty pretty conservative when it comes to user privacy and how much tracking we do of where they scroll through and how much of the book they read at a time. Um, so for us, most of the output for how people are actually using the tool we see in the um, in the output that they generate. So are we getting more conversations? Are we getting more discussion items? Are we getting people talking about it in a way that um, they previously wouldn't have talked about a certain paper? And um, one of the biggest changes that I've seen uh, in behavior on both PubPub other projects and Frankenbook is that the types of uh, behaviors that people feel like they're allowed to do is is wider. And so rather than just reading a paper and saying that was interesting, I had some I had some complaints with it. There's more of this understanding that you can actually start to participate in that you can have this direct line of communication to the author or to the editors about how to improve it or how to add supplementary material. And so the fact that readers feel um, more empowered to do more than just read I think is part of our part of our our goal and something that we've seen in the in the early movement. So I guess the question I would have is it's now we're coming up on November of 2018. Is Frankenbook done or is it an I guess will Frankenbook ever be done? Is it just an I'm obviously with the conversations going on, we could revisit this in a year, two years, five years and continue to go. But as far as putting specific content out there, are you done and is it now all the user generated stuff or is there more content to come? plan from Frankenbook. Frankenbook will never die. It's undead. <laughs> uh, I think we, we we don't have any more uh, curated expert commentary planned. We have been adding tranches of additional annotations uh, over the course of this year, uh, but we do hope that the project itself will continue. Uh, one of the interesting things about work like this is that you have to really think seriously about what a sunsetting of the project might look like because you can't actively curate things forever unless maybe Travis has another rabbit he'd like to pull out of his hat. <laughs> uh, so I imagine that at some point we'll probably have, have to have a conversation about whether we uh, limit in some way uh, the capacity for people to add new, new content just so that this doesn't you know, get taken over by some kind of spam farm. But uh, it's also if if we if there are enough people using Frankenbook, then it would be really great if that could become a com community moderated function, and so it would not need to to become a a, a closed system, uh, and people the people who continue to read the book could carry carry on with uh, curating and moderating new editions, uh, so that it can continue to be a, a living reading experience. So not to take the focus off Frankenbook, but are your eyes are you eyeing any other titles for the future? We've been having a few conversations. I don't know uh, what Travis has been talking about with colleagues at MIT Press, but we're I, I don't think I'm ready to speculate in any more detail. But uh, I I know been having having conversations with a, a few of my colleagues at ASU about whether there might be future experiments like this. I certainly feel like this was. Uh, rewarding, and uh, I think we could do a lot with the PubPub platform. It would be a shame if everything that we learned in this project resulted in it just being a one-off. Travis, how are you feeling about the project as, as perhaps it's coming to an end? I mean, on, on Frankenbook, wonderful. And one of the one of the reasons I was so uh, grateful to be working with Ed and his team is that it really did teach us a lot about and give us a good opportunity to learn a lot about how people actually want to use PubPub. And so a lot of those lessons, a lot of the lessons about how discussions work and how the back and forth work have been baked into the design of the platform as it stands today. And so 
um, even if the amount of sort of author generated curations is is winding down for Frankenbook, that we have you know handfuls of other communities that are starting up to put other other books on PubPub or to put other journals on PubPub. And uh, for me, it's all sort of one trip down the same arc of of figuring out how to make conversations around these pieces of of text much more interactive, much more uh, powerful for for readers and authors alike. I believe the URL is www.frankenbook.org, if I am correct. Uh, Travis Rich, the PubPub co-founder and project lead for Frankenbook, and Ed Finn, founding director of the Center of Science and Imagination at Arizona State University. Thank you so much for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Thank you. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you both. Information about the Knowledge Futures Group can be found at mitpress.mit.edu slash kfg. And information about the press in general can be found at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can follow the MIT Press on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press Podcast. Copyright 2018. The MIT Press. All rights reserved.